I do want to say thanks for being here. There's a couple of Sundays a year that when uh, a pastor gets assigned to preach on them, they're a little nervous if they're going to be preaching to themselves or not. Uh, Labor Day Sunday is one of those uh, Sundays. Uh, Personally, I don't mind because I like the sound of my voice. I have issues. And so I'm happy if no one showed up, then it'd just be me. I'd still be talking to me. But I'm really glad you're here because I think all my jokes are funny. I laugh at my own jokes. I'll, be, I'll admit it. And so it's helpful to have you here because when I, when I lay a joke and, and it's silent, I go, oh, that's not funny. <laughs> that's helpful to me in my own development. So I just, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we are finishing a series today. Uh, I love starting series, sermon series, and I love ending sermon series. And so I, it really is a privilege to get to end our Ugly Faith series. We've been in it for a number of weeks. Uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're at this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, that'd be great if you found Hebrews chapter 11. If you're using the North Point app, you can open that up. There, uh, the sermon's there. We got some fill-ins and some notes, and I know some verses will pop up behind me as well, but honestly, if you have your Bible with you, that would be the greatest. We're going to finish that series today. Uh, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Yeah, I know, some of you are worried, right? I'm a little worried too. Let's see if we can get him out here. I'm always a little concerned we're going to lose a leg in this process, but it's okay. If it does, just let it go. I also don't know if my friend's going to actually stay stable on the So I am concerned about if you're in the second row here, I apologize. If he takes a header, just dive for cover and let it happen. He'll be fine. So um, this is my friend. We're we're, we're, uh, finishing a series, and and I guess the way, because I think it's the way the author of Hebrews 11 finishes the series, is by getting a picture in your head. Have you ever uh, been involved in a race like a 5K or a half marathon or a marathon, 10K. If you've ever been involved in a race, uh, maybe the question is, uh, why? <laughs> why do you run that much? I'm not really a runner. I, I run uh, like by necessity, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm not really a runner, uh, but, but, I, but I run. And on a few occasions when um, I've had the opportunity to be in a, in a race, 5K or whatever, um, it's been interesting because the question comes of like, why do you do that? It's like my normal runs during the week, I'll run anywhere between three and six miles, and a 5K is 3.2, and so I'll run that in my normal daily run. So why do you do that in a race? And some of the reasons you do that in a race are because of the pictures that pop up behind me right now. Because, because when I start my, like my daily run, and I'm going to run some miles, like the way I normally start, the phrase that comes out of my mouth, this is not even a joke, almost every time I run is, we who are about to die salute you. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure I'm going to die somewhere on my run. I have a little tag on my shoe, actually. It has my name and my wife's phone number <laughs> in case I die. <laughs> I'm not, that's funny, I'm not kidding. And when I start running, I'm just like, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. And yet, uh, but when we do a race, you know, we, we line up at that starting uh, line and we're just kind of all excited and, and jazzed and, and there's, this, there's this energy that my friend here gets to experience at the start of a race. There's a sense of, of, of excitement and, um, and I don't know, uh, build up and, and all this kind of stuff. And we've been talking about this idea of ugly faith over the last 10 weeks. We looked at nine characters. Each of those characters uh, exhibited a great amount of faith, and yet it was buried under a lot of ugly. And each week we got to see that, and kind of each week we asked the question, like, like where do I fit in that? And maybe there was a, hopefully there was, a sense of encouragement and hope, like, wow, man, if if those people are considered faithful, holy cow, maybe I got a shot. (laughs) 
I'm not as bad as that guy, right? And, and so this idea, and so today we want to finish the series, but we're not going to do a character today. I just want to tie it all together. Or, or if you want to look at it this way, the character that we're going to look at today is you. Like, like if you were written into Hebrews chapter 11, what would they say about you? What would be your description? Like that I want playing in your head as we just kind of share some thoughts over the next few minutes. What would it look like if you were written into Hebrews chapter 11? You're the character in Hebrews 11. We want to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We've started there almost every week, um, and I think it's just very appropriate to start there again uh, this morning uh, as we sort of jump into this. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Like every week, this is where we started. This idea of faith, this idea of confidence, being absolutely confident of something, being absolutely sure of something that's really unseeable. Like, like I don't know how God's going to figure that out, but I know God. And so my confidence is rooted in him, that he's the God who figures things out. Like, I don't know what God's going to do with that situation, but I can trust the God of the situation and that God is somehow going to figure that out. So you see, our hope and our confidence, our faith is not rooted in what I can figure out or what I can see or what I can do. Oh, man, I would be doomed. <laughs> like, like our hope, our confidence, our assurance is rooted in the God who does all those things. And the author in Hebrews 11, he says that. He says that that's where our hope is, our, our faith is. And then he goes on and lists all kinds of different characters and examples. All these different men and women of faith who, yes, their faith was buried under a lot of ugly. But they had faith and they did some amazing things with that faith. And then the author gets to verse 32 in Hebrews chapter 11. And he says this. He says, what more shall I say? Like, like, I've just listed all these people and all these characters, and, and for the original readers of this, these would have been characters they were intimately familiar with, stories they had heard from birth over and over and over again at the campfires and the dinners and at breakfast and in the birthday cards and all the things. They, they knew these characters intimately. They probably had all the trading cards for David and Moses and Rahab, if that was a thing. I don't know. They knew these characters intimately, and they were a sense of encouragement. And so, and so our author says, what more shall I say? How many more examples do I need to lay out? What other principles do I have to say? He says, what more shall I say? I don't have time to talk about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies, and women received back their dead, raised to life again. Woohoo! Well, I'm excited at least. <laughs> like, I think the author, does, that's the tone he's coming from. Like, this sense of rah rah. Do you, you know what I mean when I say that rah rah? Like the sense of cheer, like this sense of building and excitement, this sense of rah-rah. He's, he's, he's breathing this, this just amazing language and like, like powerful, like Victoria. Like, like it's, 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 it's the, I don't know, the analogy, the, the, the huddle before the game or gathering around the coach or, or, or playing all jamming music before the team runs out on the field. Like this is the rah-rah. Like we're excited. 
We're just jazzed about what's going on. And it's interesting because it says things like, like they gained what was for them, like this idea of land and God's promise and God's presence. It says they conquered kingdoms, right? It says that they, they closed the mouths of lions. It says that the women received back their dead, raised to life. This is just miraculous, amazing stuff. Which begs the question, like, why don't we see more of that today? Like, like, this isn't just, like, oh, they wrote about people in the Bible, and that happened in the Bible. But they wrote about, like, God followers, and that happened to people who were in a relationship with God. Why don't we see more of that stuff today? Can I submit that maybe, maybe we don't see more of that today because we don't have a lot of verse 1. Now, by faith by faith. And and I'm not talking about, when I say faith, please don't hear this. Please don't hear like what you believe. We we have plenty of belief. I I think in our culture, uh, American in particular, with our access to churches and the Bible and great teachers and and, and, and science evidence and all, we have a lot of belief. We're we're good in the belief department. When When I talk about, when the scriptures talk about faith, it's talking about like faith in action. Faith that motivates you, moves you, compels you to do something with it. Not just believe. Well, I believe that Jesus was a good man and he taught the good things and I like him some. That's cool. Cool. Maybe we don't see more of this in verse 32 to 35 because we don't have more of that. In other words, where where's the guy building the boat when it's not raining? <laughs> like Noah. Right? Or, or where's the person who's leaving everything to go where God is calling him, even though God hasn't specifically told him where he's calling him to go, like Abraham? Who's taking risks when it doesn't seem prudent or appropriate? Maybe, maybe I don't, maybe we don't see more of what is on in verse 32 through 35 because we don't have the faith that's talked about in verse 1. We get this sense of the rah-rah. The author kind of whips us up uh, into a frenzy. My, like my friend here, um, if, if he were going to uh, just run his daily run, his phrase might be, you know, we who are about to die. <laughs> but if he goes to a race and he lines up on that line, if you've ever had the opportunity to run in a race, even if it's a fun run or whatever, there's just so much energy on that line. It's kind of ridiculous, matter of fact. There's tons of people and you're all kind of pressed together and everybody kind of starts doing this. I don't know why they do that. I don't have a clue. Like, huh? And, and you're all like bunched up and then that gun uh, shoots or the buzzer goes or however and everybody starts to run and then they all have to stop because not everybody can run at the same pace at the same time. And you're like... And you start up again, and there's music, and there's energy, and there's just this sense of, of like, celebration, right? So my friend, and as he starts the race, maybe that's, that's part of that fun part of the race. And I think the author is doing that here with us in 32 through 35. He's just building up this sense of rah-rah, of sense of energy and excitement. And then we get to verse 35. Women receive back their dead, raised to life again, woo! And then he pauses, and he says... There were others. There were others. I think the whole tone changes right there. There were others. But there were others. Or maybe, and there were others. Who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging 
even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and lived in caves and holes in the ground. These were all committed for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. We we get that rah-rah, and then he shifts. But there are others who face the reality. Maybe that's the word we have in our head, the reality. Because because in this relationship with Jesus, in this thing that we call discipleship, this, this journey towards a life fully devoted to Christ, the reality is we will suffer. The reality is that whether you know Jesus or not, you're going to have stuff. (laughs) Stuff's going to come. Life has a way of delivering stuff. But especially in this relationship with Jesus, you will suffer. And it describes all these things that I don't want to sign up for. I don't want to be tortured and sawed into and live in a hole in the ground. And I don't want those things. None of us want to sign up for those things. And yet the author describes the reality, the reality of the race is that suffering is part of the package for a Christ follower. And so my friend here, you know, my friend who starts the race so strong because there's so much energy and there's just signs and there's people and there's cheering and he starts running and he gets, you know, maybe two miles into the 5K or 12 into the marathon or whatever and he gets to a point where he thinks, what am I doing? (laughs) Why, Why am I doing? This is stupid. There's so many better things I could be doing, Right? And he thinks, man, this is miserable. It's the reality of the race. Two miles in, 12 miles in, you're like, man, this hurts. You feel your legs and your feet. And things hurt. You're like, I, why did I sign up to be hurting? This is dumb. I could be drinking, you know, pop somewhere else. And I should be holding signs watching people do this ridiculous thing. You feel what you had for breakfast that morning, just sitting there going, <laughs> like you feel it. It's the reality of the race. That pain sets in, the struggle. You feel your breathing. You struggle to find it. You're trying to find a stride. You're just going through this. You're sweating like crazy. You've stripped off some layers of clothes maybe because what started out as a cool run, now you're burning up. It's the reality of the run. And, and, and our author here at Hebrews 11 moves to the reality of running this race with Jesus. And, and the challenge, I think, is that you don't ever experience the rah-rah stuff if you're not willing to deal with the reality. Like, like people who want to experience that, that sense of rah-rah in the race, that, that starting line start, well, you don't get to do that if you're not willing to, <laughs> to hit mile two or mile 12 or whatever and be like, this stings. Right? And the faith that we need the faith that helps us to see and engage in the rah-rah stuff, this faith that's rooted in action, it's required to make it through the reality. I said a minute ago that whether you know Jesus or not, stuff comes and stuff of life comes. And i just be honest, I don't know how people who don't know Jesus handle a lot of the stuff of reality, the stuff of life. So I struggle to handle it with Jesus. And I got this great hope. And so the stuff comes in the reality of the life, and you'll never experience the rah-rah if you're not willing to deal with the reality. Um, I have the privilege of co-leading a group here called Grief Share, a great uh, recovery support group uh, designed for uh, folks who have lost a loved one uh, to death. 
a loved one, friend, family member, whatever, to death. And so uh, we, we look at a lot of verses in that group and spend time just processing. And one of the verses that's captured my attention is this verse out of Job, out of Job chapter 1. And if you don't know Job's story, Job is this really fascinating character in the Bible. Uh, Job had everything. Uh, wealth and family and health and all that stuff. It was all, life was just going swimmingly for him. And through some uh, stuff, uh, spiritual stuff that happened, Job lost everything. He, he lost his family. He lost his stuff. He lost his health. And, and we, we have all these chapters in the middle of Job where Job is literally sitting in a pile of dirt going, what the heck? Right? And there's this interesting verse that comes out of Job's lips in chapter 1, verse 21, he says this. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. So, somebody smarter than me really has got to preach that. Because I don't, I don't know, man. That's just hard. So I'm all for the Lord gave part. <laughs> like, give me double of that, Jesus. Right? The Lord gave. I'm for it. And the Lord takes away. I don't, oh, man. That's hard. And then this third stanza, that's the one that really gets you. That's the real power of what Job is saying here in this little poem. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm all for the Lord gives. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? But man, when this stuff is not, when the reality hits, that's when the blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But God, I'm going to bless you just as much when you're given, as much as when things seem to be not going the way I'd love them to go. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Job, what an incredible example. And it's interesting because back to Hebrews 11 and verse 40, he says this is what all these ancients were commended for, this, this sense of faith that they had in the midst of the reality. And in verse 40, he says it's really it's fascinating because we, even, we have it even easier than they did because all these characters that are listed here all lived before Jesus was on the planet. They were all waiting for something from God. They, they knew God was going to do something. Uh, they weren't exactly sure what that something was. They knew it was a person. They knew that there would be redemption and deliverance, but they weren't exactly sure what it would look like. And we live on this side of Jesus. And in verse 40, it said, since God had planned something better for us, like we get to live on this side of what Jesus did. We know what the plan was, that Jesus came to earth to live a perfect life so that he could die for my sins, so he could raise from the dead to repair my relationship with God. And if I were talking to you, it'd be you and you and you and you and you. Not necessarily y'all, y'all, but like individually, Jesus died and rose for you. That was the plan. That's where the hope is. That's where the encouragement comes from. That's why we can live through the reality even after the raw, raw kinds of fades. Because we know what the destination is. Jesus, we've got him. These, these other people, they weren't exactly sure what was going to happen, but they knew God was doing something the author then ends in, ver in chapter 12. This is, it actually ends in the first three verses of chapter 12, and this is what he says. He says, therefore, therefore is a super important word whenever you see it in the scripture. Like you want to pause, take a breath, try and remember back to where you just were, all the things that were just said, and you're going to be looking forward to what's coming. It's a really important transition word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, shat down at the right hand of the throne of God, considered him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. With that rah-rah, look at the reality. This maybe is the result. This is kind of where this all lands. This idea of since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's like stadium language. You know, a big stadium, a sports arena, and, and for the here or here, they're maybe thinking of the Olympic Games when that marathon runner comes running into the, to the, to the arena, and it's the last quarter mile, half mile, whatever it is. He comes running into that arena exhausted and tired and beat and broke, and that, tra- that crowd just goes wild, like, right? And that runner, like, it, picks his head up a little bit, and he gets that little, little last puff, that little last element of steam, that little, that little last pick-me-up because the crowd just goes wild. Like, that's the picture here. But, but not so much that, like, there's all these people that were described here or all these dead people who are in heaven now looking down on us like, oh, <laughs> that's, that's sweet or whatever. It's not like they're looking down on us, but it really, the language really leans us more towards this, this idea of look at what kind of group you're part of. Look at the kind of character that, that you keep. Look at, the, look, at, look at the league of the folks that you are included in. Like, like you're in the same league as David and Moses and Abraham and Noah and Rahab and these great examples of faith in the midst of their ugly. Like you're part of that. And because you're in that same league, he goes on to describe, I think what should happen. Imagine if we lived with that perspective. Like because I'm in the same category as these heroes of faith that make it onto flannel graph, if you're old enough to remember flannel graph. Like, I'm in that same category. Like, I'm no David. I guess they'd make a flannel graph of Chris. <laughs> crazy. I'm in that same category. That same huge faith that these characters exercise in the midst of their ugly, like, that's the same faith that we have the opportunity to exercise. Like, they saw amazing things happen because they acted in faith, and we have this opportunity to see amazing things happen because we act in faith. What would it look like if we lived with that perspective? Four things that I think the, uh, the first three verses of chapter 12 uh, tell us. If you're using fill-ins in the app, these are the fill-ins for the app. Just four things and then we'll be done. Number one, how would we live if we lived with this perspective? That we are part of that great cloud of witnesses. We're part of that kind of a group. Number one, we'd throw off stuff that entangles us. We'd throw off the stuff that entangles us. There are things that hold us back from living like this. There are things that hold us back from living like this. And I'm not just talking sin. I know it uses the word sin there, and so it's easy for us to think, oh, yeah, there's these bad things I do, and I really need to get a handle on that and stop doing those bad things. And, and I, yes, yes, absolutely, I, I agree. But, but it's, it's so much more than that. It's so much bigger than that because it's not just like these bad things that we do, this sin that keeps us from running a race full on. It's lots of things. It's anything that distracts us from that. The, the language that he employs, he uses the word hinder. Hinder is the word that literally means whatever is prominent or a protuberance. I love that word. <laughs> a protuberance, because it's like, a, in my head, it's a gross word. It's like this thing that just sticks off and gets in the way. A protuberance, a bulk, a burden, a weight, an encumbrance. Anything that, that, that holds you down, weighs you down, holds you back from running this race full on. He, he uses the word entangles. Entangles is a really difficult word. It's the only place in the Bible that this word is used, and so it's hard to compare it to other words that mean similar things. But the best that we can do from unpacking it is the ideas of like uh, besetting 
or something that leads to distress, something dangerous or easily distracting. Stuff that's easily distracting. When we boil it down to that, your mind is spinning, I hope. What are the things that distract you, that distract us, that distract me from running a race full out after Jesus? Uh, my friend here, it's interesting because he, um, uh, if you've ever run like a fun run, you know, fun runs are like these runs that really aren't, you're not running for time or anything. And there's like goofballs there, like people dress up, like, like there's this uh, turkey trot in Lansing, happens on Thanksgiving morning. People dress up like turkeys. They're in costume and stuff. It's just ridiculous. Some people, they're dressing up in all kinds of weird things and I'm just thinking, man, it must be really hard to run in that kind of stuff. And they're just doing it for fun. And it's great and wonderful. And we all laugh and chuckle. It's a good thing, right? But, but imagine if he was a real racer uh, dressed up like that. We would just think that that's ridiculous, right? We'd say, man, you got to take that off. If you're going to run for some speed, you got to take that off, right? I mean, it makes sense to us. They, they say that the uh, original Olympic runners uh, would run with no clothing on whatsoever because they were concerned that the clothes, and again, you're thinking they're wearing robes and toga kinds of things, that they would get caught up in their legs and entangle them. And they, they didn't want anything to hold them back. Uh, I said earlier that I, I like fried chicken and I run out of necessity. And if I was serious about running, I'd be a little more uh, svelte, like my friend here. <laughs> because for every pound I put on, I feel it when I run. My knees have this little voice that go, what are you doing? <laughs> right? It's just, we would, we would cut weight. We would get rid of the things that hold us back. We would get rid of whatever distracts us, easily distracts us from running this race full out after Jesus. We'd ditch it. We'd lose it. Here's the second thing that I think would, uh, our perspective would be, if we lived with this perspective, second thing that would be uh, true or is true us is this. We'd, uh, we'd run with perseverance. We'd run with perseverance. We'd run free. We'd run intentional. We'd run passionately. Perseverance is this great uh, word. It, it means the idea of an endurance race, not a sprint. This isn't the 100-yard dash that my friend is involved in here. This is a marathon. This, this is going to take time over time, consistency over time. It's not a sprint. The idea of settling in for the long haul. The theologian George Guthrie, he says this about this passage. He says, the, uh, the effort called for, consequently, is a sustained effort that goes the distance, following through on one's commitment with dogged determination. This is how we must run the race marked before us. Dogged determination. I'm going to finish. Dang it. <laughs> right? Dog, I love that. Dogged determination. There, there comes this reality for my friend who, who runs in a race where at mile two or mile 12, whatever the, the middle distance there is, that you think, why am I doing this? And, and the next thought that has to pop into my friend's head is, I'm going to finish strong. And your whole goal is to figure out how to settle into that stride. And on the rare occasion that you can settle in, it feels so different, but it's this idea of perseverance. And maybe there's some signs that pop up and along the way, and those give you little pops of encouragement as you're going. But at the end of the day, you realize, man, I had to start at a certain speed because I got to maintain a certain speed because this is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, so, so many times we, we live our life like this. You know what I mean by that? With these deep valleys of struggle and despair. And we have these high highs of exhilaration and excitement and celebration followed by a deep valley of despair followed by... And over time, as we develop this ongoing relationship with Jesus, we want it to stop looking like this and begin to look a little more like this. Not that the highs aren't so high, but just that the disparity between the highs and the lows don't seem to take us by surprise so much. 
I mean, if we compared that to a marriage, it would make sense immediately. Like you meet that person, you just fall madly in love with them and you're giving them flowers and chocolates every day and every word you speak is nice and you're always showered and you smell good. It's wonderful, right? And then you're married for 20 years and I don't know where you're at, but maybe it's not the same as that passion that was at the beginning. But I don't know that that's sustainable, <laughs> that initial passion. It seems to, it burns quick. But man, you hope you have something so much deeper after 20 years. Amen? For couples who have been married for more than a couple of days, weeks, months, years, something so much deeper. It doesn't look like this. Maybe it did in year one. <laughs> I'm gonna, I can't stand, I love her, I can't, ah! But over time, it's just this depth of relationship. It just settles into your stride and you're like, this is the long haul. I'm in this for the long haul. We would run with perseverance. When we ditch the distracting stuff, that becomes the focus. Here's the third point. We would run our own race. We'd run our own race. I'm not Francis Chan or Kevin DeYoung or Rick Rubel. I'm not any of them. And God didn't design my race to be run like they're running their race. And sometimes we get ourselves all off kilter. We start looking at it. And I'm all for listening to other authors and reading stuff and intellectual and learn them for it. Yes. But we become like we're going to run their race. I'm going to do it like they're doing it. And that's when it becomes a disaster. Because, because my friend here who runs his race, there's, there's all kinds of different racers out in that race course. Some start fast and then get into their stride and slow it up a little bit so they can sustain the distance. Some start slow and ramp up over time a little quicker, a little quicker, a little quicker till they get in their stride. I just start slow, go slow, run slow, finish slow. I'm just slow, right? But the point is, if I started like these, 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 uh, these kids that are kids, forgive me, 20-year-olds, that are, that are on the front line of that thing and the gun goes and they're like, Nyeom! if I started where they started, I would die in 30 seconds. I can't sustain that. But I'm not designed to run the race they're running. And the same thing is true in a thing we call discipleship or Christianity or journey with Jesus to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Like You're not designed to run anybody else's race. You're designed to run your race. When I forget about that, when I'm, when I'm racing... I burn out really quick, and I think the same is true often in this thing we call Christianity. We start looking at other people and trying to run the race that they're running, and then we go, man, I could never be like that, and we burn out and just binge Netflix all day long. Instead, we run the race that God has marked out for us, my race. He designed it. That's a really encouraging thing. Last thing, fourth thing, uh, that, that if we lived with this perspective, I think would be true of us, that we'd fix our eyes on Jesus We'd fix our eyes on Jesus. In verse 2 of chapter 12, this is, this is what he says clearly. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. I love this next phrase. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Like he started this relationship with him thing. My relationship with him started because of him. He started it. And he'll help carry it on to the end. And my job is to keep my eyes focused on him. He's what I'm looking at. My friend here who, who races, it's interesting because then when you get down towards the end of that race and you're hurt and you're feeling it and the reality has set in and you're asking yourself all kinds of questions like why, and, and, but you're still kind of trying to run, and you look up and you hit this point where you can actually make out the finish line area. And that becomes your focus. And you're like, maybe I can do this. No, everything hurts. I won't get up for three days, but I'm going to keep running. Because I can see the end down there and you get this second wind or third wind or whatever and you start, you start moving with some intentionality and purpose and passion again because you can see the goal. 
if you look up and there's a finish line and you just look back down again and you look to the side to see what other people are doing or whatever, like then you just keep getting discouraged and you just want to quit. People who walk out of the race at the last mile or last half mile is goofy. You can see the finish. You can see the goal. And the author here is so clear. He says, your goal is Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus. It's him that we follow because he started our faith and he'll finish our faith. This is, uh, this is just free. If you're not married here, if you're unmarried, uh, I just want to say a real quick something to you because uh, a lot of years you've got to work with high schoolers and college-age students, and, and a lot of the questions that they ask sometimes is like, hey, I need a woman or I need a man. How do I meet, the, how do I meet a spouse? How do I meet someone? I want to tell you. Like right now, I want to tell you. If you're not married, I want to tell you how you find that beautiful woman or that beautiful man, whatever, uh, that beautiful person that you're going to marry forever, this is it. Are you, this is worth the price of admission. You're going to want to write this down. Right, seriously, get this somewhere in your head. This is it. You could like sell seminars on this. How do you find a spouse unmarried young people? This is it right here. Ready? Chase hard after Jesus. That's it. And when you got that, chase hard after Jesus. And once you figure that out, chase hard after Jesus. And once you get into your stride, because you just, you just got your eyes focused on Jesus. You just, you're just chasing Jesus. I'm figuring out me and Jesus, that's what I'm working on. And as you're doing that after time and you start getting in your stride, and you're like, oh, I kind of, I'm, I'm ugly and it's a mess and I'm tripping and stumbling, but I'm still, I'm still moving. Then maybe look around. Just look at the cute girl that's kind of running near you. <laughs> right? you're, but you're running after Jesus, not after the girl, because when you start running after the girl, <laughs> you're going the wrong direction. You're in disaster land. Right? But you just run and you're chasing after Jesus, but you glance over and you see there's a cutie over there and you're like, hmm, she's kind of cute. <laughs> right? and, and as you're continuing to run after Jesus, then now, now you look at her a couple more times. Then you do that little, hey, <laughs> you know, I notice you. <laughs> All right? And you just keep running after Jesus. You keep running after Jesus. Young people, don't lose me yet. Like you're still running after Jesus and you notice her and she's kind of cute. And over time you notice that she's kind of keeping pace with you, that she's running after Jesus. And then you look at it over time, maybe, and you say, hey, you want to run with me? And then you both run after Jesus together, and that's the story. That's how you, you find a spouse. Because when you start looking at the girl or you start looking at the guy, the focus is in the wrong place. And I cannot tell you, some of you older folks here, like, you're with me on the, you know, you're, you're cutting your head chuckling going, I know. Because I can't tell you how many disastrous relationships begin and end quickly because the focus was the person. The focus wasn't Jesus because our focus is Jesus. It's him we follow. And then he goes on to describe Jesus' focus a little bit in verse 2. Fixing our eyes in Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. For the joy set before him, he had a focus. He had a purpose. He knew what he was here for. He didn't come to earth just to wander around aimlessly. He had a trajectory, a passionate pursuit of something that he was doing. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. He knew where he was headed. He knew that death was in his future. That's why he came to the planet and lived for 33 years, because he was going to die to restore our relationship with God. He knew that that was his focus. And in verse 3, the author says, So consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Like, look to the example of Jesus that's where our eyes are focused. That's how we can do this. That's how we can run this race without burning out. Here's where I want to finish. For 10 weeks, 11 weeks, we've talked about ugly faith. And you've heard the stories of ugly faith. And each week, we kind of looked at the things that uh, so easily entangled those characters. The question I'd leave us with is, what are yours? 
What are the things that entangle you? What are the things that keep you, that hinder you from living a life full out, fully devoted for Jesus? If, if you can identify those things, the question is, are you willing to get ugly with them? Are you willing to, to get ugly? Are you willing to get real, serious, violent <laughs> with the things that hold you back from running this race full out after Jesus? See, what we're really talking about here is this concept of discipleship or disciple-making, this idea of being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And, and where we want to go, this series ends today. And in the next two weeks, we're not even starting a new series. We just for two weeks want to define what discipleship is. We want to be as clear as we possibly can without giving a list of rules and a checks on a box or something of what to do, of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, what it looks like to, to live a life, to run a race full on after Jesus. So for two weeks, no slick title, no, no series or anything like that. We just want to define using some verses as best as we can what we think being a disciple means, the definition, what it means, what it looks like. That's kind of where we're headed because we want to be a church, a group of people that are just passionately pursuing Jesus. And everything that we get to do and see and the rah-rah, it just flows out of this passionate pursuit of Jesus. Not passionately pursuing programs or passionately pursuing people or passionately pursuing money or passionately pursuing work or passionately pursuing fill-in-the-blank. Passionately pursuing Jesus changes everything, everything. Let me pray, and then we'll be done. Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for, uh, I don't know, giving me a chance just to think with this group of people and to, uh, to laugh a bit and to just think through you and who you are. And Jesus, I would just pray for me personally that you would, you would reveal to me if there are things that are keeping me from running a race full out for you. God, if I'm wearing the, the goofy turkey costume at times, God, that you would just point those things out to me. And it is my prayer that you would do that for each of us in here. That, God, you would point out the things that are keeping us from running hard after you. There might be sin, sure, but there also might be good things that are just keeping us, holding us back, distracting us, weighing us down. God, you would be so good to reveal those things to us. That next part's way harder, God, that you would help us to be men and women of integrity and character, to be willing to throw those things aside and just chase you passionately to get you to get to watch you do what you do oh what an adventure that is god help us to be the men and women who get to see that who have a front row seat to that i can't imagine asking for anything better it starts though with god helping us to get rid of the things that keep us from running hard after you help us to be a church that's passionate about that jesus i love you amen North Point, thanks for being here today. We'll see you next week, if, if not before.